Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. And today we have a three-man podcast. I'm super excited about this one. Uh, Hedrin's obviously joining me as we talk Premier League and we preview the Champions League round of 16 matchups. But we also have a special guest, and we haven't done a three-man pod in a while. Um, we have Tyler back on. So, Tyler, welcome back onto the podcast. Hey, what's up? How's it going? It's been good. Hedjun, thanks for coming on as well. I'm super excited to get us three back together uh, just so we can talk about what's going on in the Premier League and also talk about these juicy Premier League or these Champions League matchups that are coming up starting tomorrow. We're recording this on a Monday night. So Tuesday and Wednesday, they're going to have some really, really fun matchups um, coming up for us. So, guys, Let's start off with the Premier League. Um, I don't know what, where else to start other than that Man City-Chelsea game, that 6-0 win for Man City, and they just kind of came out um, guns a-blazing. So do you guys have any reactions to that, Tyler or Hedging? Yeah, it was um, quite a goal fest by Man City. And I think going into this game, people thought it was going to be a lot closer than it than it ended up being, uh, myself included. It almost looked like the players on the Chelsea team were just sort of demoralized and and stopped trying after going down 4 nothing in 25 minutes. Do you think it's the pro uh, the players or the or, or sorry that's that's the issue here. So I honestly was getting sort of reminded of the way that United Manchester United started playing in the last few games against or in the last few games with Mourinho how it sort of just seemed like there was a huge disconnect between the manager and the players and it almost looked like the players are just sort of losing their faith in the manager and it's directly affecting their results on the pitch and it's almost one of the situations where you start to wonder, are they doing it intentionally? Is it trying to send a message that they want to get sorry out of there? Or is it just, you know, sorry has driven them to play like this. I'm not sure. I mean, Chelsea players did that with Mourinho. I know, time. you know, they have it in them. <laughs> and uh, Conte too. Um, it just kind of shows how, classy Chelsea Chelsea is um and I mean I think another thing about that like you could take a top level look in terms of like Roman Abramovich is not very patient in terms of having his managers stick on he'll make the necessary changes slash moves uh regarding managerial changes um and things like that if he's not happy with the product on the field and with that result that ended up happening this past weekend Chelsea drops all the way to sixth and uh it's it's they're in a very precarious situation now although they're only one point back of Man United who's sitting in fourth it's still especially with where they started with all the good vibes that they had with Maurizio Sarri to start the season and they were looking like um Premier League um, champions like candidates in terms of being in the title race. So it it's kind of 
confusing as to like where this midseason lull has kind of come from. Yeah, and I mean, we all know that Chelsea, certainly of the big six clubs, has the highest turnover rate managers by far. Like they are the ones known for just dropping their manager as soon as things stop going their way for even a few games, a few weeks' time. So I would honestly be surprised if there is another result like this. We already had the Burnmouth 4-0, then you have this by City. If this happens again, I'd be surprised if Sarri sticks around through the end of the season for sure. But there's only 11 games left of the season. So I, I, I don't know, maybe. It might be a too haste of a decision if Sarri gets sacked. I agree with that. Season. But I'm just saying that that's what I see Chelsea doing in terms of their history of treating their managers. Uh, yeah, and I totally agree with that. Like, just based on their history, it doesn't seem like he – his days are numbered. It doesn't seem like he's going to have an extended period of grace period from Abramovich to be like – all right, like, they're struggling, we're losing 6-0, we're going to give them some time to kind of figure it out. It just seems like if if there's going to be, like, one more result, I wouldn't be surprised if Abramovich kind of, like, takes them out and <laughs> takes them to the back corner and just kind of takes them out. So, like, it doesn't seem like he's going to have a lot of time left to turn it around unless he starts going on some insane win streak in the next – in the next, I would say, month or so. What did you think about him not shaking Pep's hand? I know. They were, make, they were making a huge deal about that. I mean, I think I would be somewhat of a sore loser if I lost a game that's 6-0. And it would be tough to kind of be in a mood where I'm showing good sportsmanship in that moment. I think it's not like Pep has ever done that. It's not like Pep hasn't done that before. Like Pep has definitely done that. Like they were showing him on Twitter. A lot of people were like retweeting pictures of Pep Guardiola doing that at his time at Bayern Munich. So it's not like managers are immune to having good sportsmanship at all. So, I mean, he just lost the game 6-0, so I, I kind of understand why he wouldn't want to shake the other manager's hand. I disagree with that, although obviously it's emotional at that time, but that's your job. I mean, that's like basic level. You get that out of the way, it's two seconds, then you can storm down the tunnel. Come on, show a little class. That yeah, rubbed me I, the wrong way. And, and I'm not I saying told, just I agree sorry. With Every time yeah, yeah. that happens, you know, I, that's going to piss me off. I'm like, come on, guys. Yeah, kind of like act like act like adults and not like children, uh, petulant yeah. ch- children. So, it, it, I mean, I thought it was interesting and about all of that type of stuff. But I did want to turn to Man City and talk about, like, how prolific they looked over this past week. And there were a lot of rumors slash questions about this team struggling with these mid-table slash lower-level teams, but they seem to turn it on whenever they're playing very stiff slash tough competition. And it 
they've really showed their their colors here in this past week, playing Arsenal, playing Everton midweek, and then and uh, winning against Chelsea uh, 6-0 in this matchup. Head Junior, Head Junior, Tyler, did you guys feel like like how would you guys describe this this change in play in comparison to the competition that they're playing? Well, I, I think I think um, you know Pep did a nice job of rallying the players. Um, it's not it's not normal for a, a, a team to be like struggling against a mid table or like even bottom of the table teams, and then suddenly turning around six nothing against you know a, a champion that that showed a lot of promise in the beginning of the season. Um, I'm not sure like what Pep said in the the locker room before the game, but you know, it must have had a lot of effect. And it's kinda of scary, right? Like um they're now back in the title race. They're on the top of the table, just on goal differentials and like I wouldn't be surprised if they took I mean, if they won the the league, you know, it's it's kind of scary, like how they can just drop six, seven points and be like, all right, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go back on top again. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely was sending out a message. Um, that's the biggest defeat for Chelsea in the history of the Premier League. Um, so that's no small feat in and of itself. And I do want to bring up though that. That being said, I think the reason they, like I said, I think in the last time I was on the podcast that Newcastle is a tough place to go away. Can't take that away from Newcastle. However, it does seem that maybe a team like that, that plays more defensive, just packs up the whole team behind the ball and waits for City to just bring everything at them, that might have had some of the reason to do with the result as opposed to Chelsea, Arsenal, even Everton who are going to give it more of a go against City instead of just say, you know what, we're just going to sit back all game and let you try to break through 11 men. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, those last three teams are not going to play like that. So even the slightest bit more open play, having more people attacking is going to leave those holes open for City. But like Hedging said, I mean, that is a series of results that makes you go from thinking they're struggling to thinking they're right back in the title conversation. And they have played one more game than Liverpool, but they're sitting on top of the table right now and the pressure's on. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get to Liverpool in a second. I did want to highlight Sergio Aguero. I mean, he could have had like five or six goals in this game. He ended up like, he had a hat trick, but he ended up missing, like, a sitter right in front of the goal. Like, missed an empty netter. And then he also ended up, I believe, hitting the crossbar once as well. So, he he could have – he definitely had his chances to have, like, a ridiculous fantasy Premier League type of day. Um, but it's incredible. I think I read a stat somewhere against the top six – Sergio Aguero in like the past six or seven seasons had 42 or 43 goals against the top six uh, 
teams, traditional top six teams in the league. So it's pretty incredible the way he's been able to play against top-level competition and bring his A game, especially with him. I, I think a lot of people know how talented he is, but he's always been in and out of the lineup just because of his health. And whenever he is healthy, he's able to show how good of a player he is, the best of the best. And hopefully he's able to continue to stay healthy so he can continue to show that form or maybe not. So Liverpool can kind of, <laughs> kind of win the league, but it would, it, it's really great to see like all these top talented players kind of t- come together and show the, the amount of skill that they have because right with man, the way Man City's playing right now, I don't think anyone wants to play them at all. Yeah, I mean, he is definitely in the ranks of the best strikers in the history of the Premier League. Um, He does seem to get overlooked a little bit when people talk about things like that, but, I mean, he's now tied for most hat tricks um, in the Premier League. He's obviously still a long way off most goals, but his conversion rate is still really high, and he's just very talented between his finishing capabilities, the positioning, the the runs he makes, his quickness, and he's just all over the place. I think he's uh, now top, or he's a top striker at goals, uh, scoring goals for Man City. So yeah, he's mm-hmm. gonna be a legend for sure. But I'm, I'm like, I'm really surprised that he hasn't made a move elsewhere. You know what I mean? Like Man City is a great team. Yeah, he's been there like seven, eight yeah. seasons now. Mm-hmm. So, like I'm surprised he didn't go try to like go like a place like Real Madrid. Like he hasn't even been linked to anywhere. Yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it's the comfort that he's kind of found at Man City that has really kind of enticed him to stay. And then I think he was there for that first Man City title. Um, yeah. You know, that crazy, crazy QPR, finish. Between, came against yeah. QPR. Yeah, right, that right. was his goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think from there, he's kind of cemented his place in, at Man City, and he's kind of maybe – which I really appreciate, even though it's at Man City, where a player ends up staying at one place and kind of cements their legacy there instead of always looking for the next move, going to, like, the next big club like Real or Barcelona or something like that. And he's only 30 years old. I mean, he probably still has, like, five or six left in his tank, at least. Yeah, I mean, he is getting to the age where... I don't think he'd be at City for another five or six years. But, no, 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 definitely not. Um, he's probably going to end his best years there at this rate. I don't see him going you know, somewhere else for a couple of years. Yeah, and I think, like, there's, like, other players, like, especially to highlight in terms of, like, Kevin De Bruyne, especially since he's been back um, from injury. Yeah. He's kind of really helped that team, helped solidify that team. He's playing a lot deeper he's like playing a deep line playmaker type of role and he's really done a great job there um and sterling's sterling's been really great on the left wing for them as well so there's a lot of good guys um for them to really i guess rely on like or 
in terms of like they don't really have to rely on one specific player because they have so many talented players. And that's just been like the theme of Man City throughout this whole year. I, I'm very curious to see if that left back spot is ever is gonna end up hurting them um down the stretch because I think it's Zichenko has been like playing at that spot and Benjamin Mendy's been kind of out of this lineup. He's always been hurt right now, even though he's an extremely talented player. I'm curious to see if that left back spot ends up hurting them. Well, um I know for I forget which game it was. Um Fernandinho played as a center back. Right? So it was a four back. Yeah, it was sort of that game where he did a dual role of playing both a central midfielder and a center back exactly. based on like, who had it the was ball. Like a, yeah, what, when, the next like, level tactics. Yeah, I'm like, oh man, like that's when I knew that Pep is a is a <laughs> genius. Like as City got the ball back and started building up, Fernandinho would push up, and Laporte, who was playing as quote unquote left back, would um, kind of close in and play the left central midfielder. So it was like, or I'm sorry, left uh, left uh, center, center back. back. Yeah, and it was like I was like, man, like that's that's amazing. Like I've never seen that kind of tactic before, and no, it seems like not a lot of managers even these days can kind of pull that off, even with the quality of players that they have. Uh, and it's just amazing how like fluid has uh, tactics are depending on the situation, depending on you know who they're playing against. I'm just surprised that they haven't. You know, gotten that far in the Champions League, but uh, we'll we can talk about that a little that. bit later. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely get to that. I know Tyler, you brought up Liverpool, kind of like, um, and I, this is a team I did want to talk about next because Man City ended up leaping over Liverpool in the table, even though Liverpool has a game at hand. Um, they're tied on points, but Man City's ahead by like I think it was it's ten goals on goal differential right now. So Liverpool ended up having a 3-0 win against against Bournemouth, but they looked relatively solid during this game. I just think they're really kind of struggling in terms of some of the depth, and it really all goes back to like what ended up happening and transpiring over the um, transfer period with Nathaniel letting during Klopp letting Nathaniel Klein leave um, and then a whole series of events in terms of our right backs just kind of being cursed and going down with injury. Joe Gomez has like been out and I think he required, he's now required surgery. So he's going to be out for a lot longer as well. Trent Alexander Arnold's been out of the lineup. It was good to see him on the bench this past weekend and like now there's, you know, you had to slot different players in there. Like James Milner, Jordan Henderson had to go at it at, during one of the games. It's, it's so frustrating when they had someone like Nathaniel Klein, who's had Premier League experience before and they, they just kind of let him go, um, and let him go without any kind of thought of something like this kind uh, like this happening. So that was definitely frustrating to watch and that kind of ended up showing up in their play because 
it really shuffled the lineup in terms of who would play in the center center of the midfield when Alden was out with injury as well. Uh, Milner was out with suspension for a game or so. So that really changed the lineup. And you'd see players like Adam Lalana get chances, like Nabi Keita, who's struggled immensely since he's since he's arrived at Liverpool, especially with that big money signing. It's it's frustrating to kind of see with how well they looked at the beginning of the year. And now they're kind of going through this mid-season struggle. I just hope that they're able to come together and really, really snap out of it. Yeah, I think some red flags are popping up for Liverpool and Liverpool fans are starting to notice as well, almost like slipping into the old, um, I don't want to say choking at the end of the season because, you know, we still have a lot of games to play. But um, what I think you sort of touched on it with City is that they have so much depth and all of their players have been performing at such a high level. Um, I think we saw over these last few games where they drew against West Ham and Leicester when you were just talking about some of the squad changes were coming into play. I just think that this Liverpool squad does not have the depth to fight City off in the same level um, because the squad was back to normal pretty much um, for Burnmouth. Um, even Trent Alexander-Arnold made it, you know, his return as a substitute, but that looked like a great result. But without that preferred 11, the team struggled twice in a row. So I don't think that bodes well for their their rest of the season and fighting in Champions League as well as the Premier League. And I'm definitely scared. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as a Liverpool fan, I can confirm that I'm definitely scared. Well, do you – would you be okay if Liverpool threw away their Champions League, you know, uh, journey in order to save the league? I mean, I, uh, honestly, I, it's unrealistic for Liverpool to even pull off a double. Honestly, I'm just yeah. I'm just saying realistically, saying that realistically. And I think a majority of Liverpool fans, if they can look at this objectively, they and they would be and if they're being real with themselves, they would say let's focus on the Premier League because of because of how long it's been since they've won a Premier League. I mean, they they haven't won since they since it's kind of in this modern era. So, it's it's very it's it's a tough situation because I'm sure Klopp wants to just win every game and I think all, that's like the mentality of a player as well. You don't really think about like punting on one of the competitions so you have a better chance at the other but I think that would it would be a wise move especially with the Champions League matchup that they have yeah I think you guys were just in the final last year you had a great run I mean that was a really good uh, season for you guys so I gotta believe that Liverpool fans would just prioritize the Premier League like you said um and I don't think I don't think they could really survive a, a late Champions League run and try to fight off City the rest of the way with with the squad they have now yeah I totally agree and the res- I think the result of last year getting to the final 
Klopp shows that he can compete, like, and this Liverpool team can compete with the best in Europe. You know, obviously they had some easy matchups on the way to the final last year, but it shows that they can compete in Europe. And I I don't think any Liverpool fans would question like, oh, if they get knocked out by Bayern Munich in the round of 16, that they'd be like, oh, the Klopp has like a lot of questions as to where he can where he can take this team. Now, if I think there's going to be a lot more questions to be asked if Liverpool kind of has this pulls a choke job basically in this next couple months of the year coming in to finish the Premier League season and they end up, you know, losing the city um, on points by like two points or a point or whatever, or goal differential. And they end up choking it away, especially with how far they far ahead they were um, in the league. I think a lot of Liverpool fans would start asking questions as to, you know, is Klopp the guy, especially with all the success that he's had, are now there's going to be some questions to be asked about the players that are in place as well. Do we have enough squad depth? And I think a, a huge cloud would be over the team if they're not able to pull it off this year. Yeah, I think the next two fixtures for Liverpool are going to be very telling for their fate for the rest of the season. That's Bayern, followed by five days later, uh, Manchester United in the Premier League. So mm-hmm. imagine, you know, I don't want to jinx you guys, but imagine you lose both of those games people are going to start losing their faith a little bit, I think. So these are huge, two back-to-back huge games for Liverpool coming up. So now what happens at the end of the season with Klopp if, you know, if they can bring home any silverware? Um, I mean, I think he still stays on, honestly. It, it depends on, uh, obviously, the manner as to if, how 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 the results are like let's say if he burns out out of the round of 16 and then basically just absolutely chokes and like drops to like fourth in the league or something like that then I think you'll start there's they'll start being like rumors about his firing and things like that but if he ends up in second I still think he comes back I don't know what other manager you would bring into Liverpool to kind of build this team, but next year would definitely be the, I would say, make it or break it year in terms of bringing in silverware. Also, do you feel like there's anything you can point to that Klopp has really done wrong? Or is, in my opinion, it's just he's sort of limited with his squad that he has. Although you have some world-class players like Salah, um, even... From you know, Mane are really amazing players, but I just I think it just goes back to the depth. He's just working with what he has. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is the the thought that some of the guys that he's brought into the team haven't necessarily worked out in terms mm-hmm. of like Cato was supposed to be this like all world player, and yeah. I think a lot of Liverpool fans were expecting that. Fabinho's kind of throughout the season found his footing, but he definitely struggled in the beginning. And then he's kind of 
established himself a little bit here. But some of the moves that they made last year haven't really panned out. Um, And then the center back depth is now a huge concern, especially with Gomez kind of, he's been out now. And I'm, I'm in love with Joe Gomez, but he's showed a propensity to get injured, especially with ACL tear a couple of years ago. Now he's dealing with this leg injury or um, broken leg. So you start thinking about injury concerns and you already know that there's an injury concern with the ACL tear uh, that happened a couple of years ago, but you're content to still have uh, Lovren and Matip kind of backing him up. And especially with Lovren being another guy that's been injured lately, Matip is the guy in place. And then it starts getting very thin if Matip gets injured because you can start thinking about putting Firmino back there. I mean, Fabinho back there. Or, uh, yeah, that would be crazy. Yeah, maybe even Firmino. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, eventually Firmino will be back there. So it's, it's I think uh, a part of it is, yes, the I mean, depth. You can't forget depth. about Van Dyke and Allison. We're huge for you guys so far. So right, right. Negative. it's definitely not It's definitely not all negative. But Liverpool, I would say, is... They they've been spending a lot more money lately, but they aren't. They're definitely not a team like Chelsea, like Man City, um, where they can just kind of spend as as much as they want. They're more of a team that does the smart buys and really develops the talent that that those um, that their money can buy. And then like Salah was kind of like a diamond in the rough. Yeah, signing especially, and then Mane too as well. Like him signing him, Andy Robertson. Yeah, Andy Robertson, like great player. Yeah, probably one of the best left. Pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah, one of the best left backs in the world right now. So it's like if you look at the squad as a whole, they're not guys that you that were signed on huge money deals at all. Like the only guys you can really point to are Van Dyke and Allison. I would yeah. say as the two guys that were like, all right, we're bringing them in and they're contributing right away. And Cato was supposed to be that for uh, Liverpool and he hasn't, he hasn't performed. So that's where I think you do give him a little, cut him a little slack, but then especially with the signings that he ended up having this past uh, or last transfer window during the summer uh, session, it was disappointing to say the least. So um, I think he definitely does get one more year, regardless of what happens, unless it's like a epic fail of like preposterous proportion. So we'll end, we'll see what ends up happening with that. I did want to kind of move on to what man use doing right now, um, because I have both of you guys on as man U fans, it would be a shame to not talk about them. So what are your general thoughts about what Skolskar is doing? And it doesn't seem like he, it doesn't seem like much has changed since we've last talked on the podcast. It, it seems like the good times are continuing to roll. So uh, any reactions from both of you guys would be great. I'm dying to hear an update from Hedjun on the, <laughs> yeah. on the podcast situation. Is Hedjun missing Mourinho right now? Uh, 
I just want to hear you say I'm wrong. What do you mean I'm wrong? <laughs> Mourinho was Mourinho was sacked. Not... Are you missing him? Do I miss Mourinho? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that if it's a simple yes or no question, it's a no. Okay. But I I still do think that Mourinho wasn't he didn't deserve that kind of treatment from whether from the the players, from Woodward, from from the front office. And like I, I I'm I'm still gonna feel that way, you know, until my death. <laughs> That's not wow. gonna change. I, I really don't think like, you know, Pogba and and some of the players involved like obviously didn't like Mourinho and they plotted some things against him, and you know that's not right, right? If that is the truth, that's not right. And I would agree with that. It's it's unprofessional for sure. That being said, though, Skullscar, you know, played in Manchester United. He considers himself as like I don't know, like they do they say Mancunian? I think that's what they call like people yeah. of Manchester. Um. Case in point, like he attended this in company's gala where uh company gave up what his entire year's salary to help the homeless people in Manchester. And my like, sports car didn't need to be there, but he showed up and you know, he con- like he considers himself as a part of the community because that's where his career was. And that's where he his career is now, and like I respect that so much because he's doing a lot of things like beyond just as a manager of a club, and like you don't really see that in the U.S. right as a coach or as a manager or whatever, you just kind of stay within the club. But in in Europe, it's still rooted deep in community, the city, right? That, I don't know, he must love Manchester as a city, as a community to be able to attend things like that. And I respect it a lot. And I'm sure Manchester City fans and players respect him and even Pep respects him uh, in that in that regard. And, you know, how can you hate a guy like that, you know? Yeah, I definitely feel like I'm just all smiles whenever I'm watching Solskjaer do just about anything. Um, and just to touch a little bit on what you were saying about Mourinho leaving, I agree that you don't want to see players being unprofessional, but I have to sort of bring up the fact that Mourinho is being very unprofessional as well. And it is going to be hard unless anything comes out in the you know following months or something, we won't really know what all was happening behind the scenes at United there at the end of Mourinho's tenure. And because of that, we can still have debates like this, even as the good times have returned. But I still just am under the impression that it was Mourinho's doing more so than the players. But both parties have some negative aspects of it to um, own up to. And that being said, I am very happy with 
the current state of our club. seems like a lot of the players are performing at some of their highest levels, with the exception of maybe Alexis Sanchez, who still has some question marks about his involvement um, moving forward. But the results keep coming in. We haven't lost a game since Mourinho's gone. And much like Liverpool, we have some season-defining matches coming up in the next few weeks, uh, including PSG at home, followed by Chelsea in the FA Cup, and the match I already mentioned, Liverpool United in the Premier League. How do you feel these are coming, or these are going to go? I think think it's going to be... Yeah, we'll preview that matchup, the Man U Liverpool. Maybe we'll do it. We'll do like a live podcast too, because I think that'll be fun as well. Maybe me and Hedwin will make our trip down to DC, and maybe we can watch it all together. Um, I mean, the way Liverpool is playing right now, I'm not confident that they'll they'll be able to get a win at away at Old Trafford, but. If they're able to get an, a tie there, especially with the way Man U's been playing, um, I I would be pretty happy. But that would put us behind the eight ball in in the league. So this is a really crucial matchup for Liverpool, and I'm very curious to see what the the tactics are, um, especially for on Liverpool's side, um, because Paul Pogba has been a revelation, especially under uh, Skolsar, and he's been a completely different player. Um, and, I mean, he's been so, I don't know how to def- say it, but mercurial <laughs> in that he's he really wanted Mourinho gone. I think it was pretty evident from his conduct and the way he ended up playing um, under Mourinho, and he's completely different now. And he's shown what he was like when he was on that French national team who won that World Cup last year. So Yeah. It, and he's already hit um his personal best for goals in a season and we've still got months to go. So right. he's really turned it on in a matter of weeks. <laughs> right. So that's I think for me that's kind of the worry. Um like in the middle of the midfield, Liverpool does not have a player of that magnitude to match up with Pogba. And I'm just worried that Pogba's going to kind of overrun Liverpool's midfield. So it's, I, I think, depending on the tactics, and I think what Klopp is going to try to do is try to, to flood the center of the park a little bit more and try to keep it a little bit more compact there. And then especially when defensively keep that that area compact and then quickly be able to do a pretty patented Liverpool counter, especially with the speed that they have on the outsides and may, and take advantage of the, the man of Manu's defense and their back line, maybe and utilize Salah and Mane's skills on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, it should be a great game. Yeah, I'm really excited to watch the game and see the game. So, Tyler, Hedjun, before we end up going uh, previewing the Champions League matchups, 
I did want to talk about one team that we haven't mentioned yet, and I think our good friend Thomas would be pretty upset if we did not mention them. It's Tottenham, and Tottenham's been – they're sitting at third right now um, in the league. They're only sitting five points behind uh, Man City and Liverpool at the top of the table, and they've played some really, really good – really really good soccer right now and it's 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 like very particularly impressive honestly because of the amount of injuries that they're dealing with and squad depth has always been a huge concern with Tottenham but they're able to pull out a win against Leicester this past weekend and we're not even being homers here me and Hedrun but Tonongman's been like extremely extremely impressive with the way he's been able to play um he's scored something like 12 goals in like 16 games in the premier league this year so the way amazing stat right right there right the scoring clip that he's uh putting in the amount of goals and the the way he's producing is particularly impressive and then also we talked about Fernando Llorente being able to contribute a little bit. Uh, Sissoko has been um, a different type of player. Harry Winks has really, really developed into, I would say, someone that is a regular fixture in that Tottenham lineup. And they're doing it all without Harry Kane and Deli Ali right now in the attack. Yeah, their um, run of the last, I guess, four wins in a row have been really impressive um, because they were really looking thin, even more so, like we said, about Liverpool. They haven't added a single player to their lineup in the past year, which is unheard of in the modern game. And they get a few huge injuries, and they're still able to pull out these wins. And it's almost like just a show of their grit and determination because I think it was three matches in a row that were all like one in the final five minutes or so with late goals and it's just that much more dramatic and means that much more for the fans and the players and they've really shown a lot of character over this period yeah but at the same time they're overexerting themselves I feel like Uh, just you know I don't think I can completely and comfortably say that they're uh, able to not lean on Harry Kane or Deli Ali, right? If they're gone and when they're gone, um, they might they might struggle because you know they can't pull that off every single game against you know the top four, top five uh, teams or even like some mid tier teams. Um, you know, that's going to be a tough thing to do, and they're going to need to figure out how they're going to move on without Hurricane or Deli Ali or even, or even Ericsson uh, going forward because, you know, <laughs> let's face it, like they're not going to be there the entire time. Yeah, you'd think at least one of those three is probably going to start looking elsewhere soon, right? And Son is actually, I've been hearing rumors too as well that he might be one of the more valuable players on that team even over like even on equal footing I would say as like yeah. Erickson and Deli Ali at this point 
and him yeah. making a possible big money move somewhere, um, maybe like Real Madrid or Barcelona. And I've heard some rumors like that as well with him being relatively young and the form that he's on. So we'll, I, I don't know, we'll see what ends up happening because they're really going to have to, like you said, Hedging, develop some of those younger guys um, like a Harry Winks or um, I think it was Oliver Skip who's kind of needs to be the next wave of Tottenham players to fill the roles that are going to be left um, by Harry Kane and maybe Erickson, maybe Ali and maybe Son. Yeah, and just they need to start buying some new players. Come on, let's be serious. It's 2019. It's incredible that they're in third and doing so well without adding anything to their squad. It's just it's mind blowing to me. And and it, it as a Tottenham fan, like if we're to have TK here, or Thomas here, I think it would also be somewhat frustrating as well to see the Yeah, there's team. no reason for that to be the case. Like Right. It would like it would be frustrating to see this team performing basically at max capacity. And if they had like a couple more guys in the squad in rotation, then just imagine at like how serious of a challenge contender they could have been, um, title contender they could have been over the past couple of years. And I think they've been like second uh, multiple times over the past couple of years. So it must be pretty frustrating that they're almost, they're right there um, to take the title. And they're just maybe a couple players short because the owners slash management have been a little bit tight with the budget. Yeah. And I know they've got their issues with the stadium and a lot of money going into that and a delayed opening and everything. But like you said, just imagine if they had a, a higher quality backup behind Kane and behind Deli Ali and, and what that Tottenham team could have looked like. Yeah, totally agree with that. So guys, let's move on to the Champions League because I think that's something that is on everybody's mind. The round of 16 is supposed to start tomorrow on Tuesday, February 12th, and it's actually starting with your guys' team uh, playing um, against PSG, and this game is going to be unbelievably exciting, especially with the stakes that are involved, but there's going to be a lot of key players for PSG missing, and maybe that's to the benefit of you guys, obviously. Uh, obviously, uh, Neymar is going to be out. It looks like for both legs of the of the round of 16 against Man U. And then also, Edinson Cavani ended up suffering a thigh strain this past weekend against Bordeaux. Thomas Menoyer is out as well. And Marco Verratti might also be out too. And it's looking doubtful that he'll play. So that's four key players in their starting lineup that might be that are probably going to be out against Man U. And it's not like it's not like it's they're not their best players because those four are probably four of the top seven seven of their best players on that squad right now. So how what's like the confidence level going into this 
Champions League matchup against PSG, especially with all the injuries that they're suffering. I'm really excited. Um, I think that should go without saying, but to be fair, as a neutral, it is honestly too bad that they're missing so many players because at the end of the day, you want to see the best players in the world playing against each other. That's the whole point of the Champions League, right? But as a fan of United, what an opportunity. I feel like sort of like we might have gotten away with something with this kind of luck. We still obviously are going up against a lot of world-class players. Um, you expect Buffon would be playing, Mbappe, you know, Danny Alves, Thiago Silva. But it's definitely not their full-strength lineup, and I think this is right for us to just announce ourselves back on the world stage and show that we, we can compete in the Champions League again. Yeah, I mean, I can't say it how I'm excited. Like, I'm not... Like, I love it. I love the fact that, like, you star players can't play because, I mean, I want to see Manchester United go far and, uh, you know, play at that, the level that they should be playing at. Um, and I guess it's like a blessing in disguise that we ended up in second place in the group stages That so that we can play PSG and... You know, even up until like a couple of weeks ago, we were worried about, okay, how are we going to defend Neymar? How are we going to defend Cavani? Um, so, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to say that I, like I hate the news and like I want a real challenge. Uh, I'll take what I can get and yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. Love it. I, I think even still, I'm still worried about the speed that Mbappe has and obviously there's not many guys that can cover him on the outside um, at fullback. So I would, that's the one player that can really change the game for PSG. And I'm not exactly sure what Man U is going to do against Mbappe. Do you guys, is there, well, if you guys were the manager of the team, is there a, a plan or an idea that you would kind of, uh, have against Mbappe? I would personally make sure that Shaw is playing left back and not yep. Young. Um, not Ashley Young, just in terms of Shaw's actually had a really good season this year, and I think he is maturing as a player and can really put in a shift to try to keep up with Mbappe. Obviously, like you said, Mbappe can change a game single handedly. Um, but then I would also look at whoever's selected for center back um, and maybe put Smalling in there instead of like um, Jones or Bai. Although Bai has a speed, he's got that bit of reckless ability, and I could see him just, you know, getting beat by Mbappe and taking him down for a penalty or something. Where I think Smalling is actually one of our fastest players on the team, um, and I think he could be a good help to try to shut that down. Yeah, I mean, I was exactly thinking like Tyler. Uh, Shaw would be a great defender against Mbappe. And, you know, we don't have Neymar to worry about on the other side. So, 
it's going to be a little bit of an easier, uh, I guess, formation in the back. Uh, just put Smalling right next to Shaw. Uh, maybe maybe Lindelof uh, as uh, as a as a partner. Of, yeah. Uh, Smalling because I mean he had to he has to play this you know this week because he didn't play in the weekend. So you know I wouldn't be surprised if they were teared up. Um, and especially since Cavani isn't playing, we wouldn't have to worry about. Uh, Smalling or Lindelof getting pushed off because we, we all know Cavani is a strong player. Um, but I will say the Chupo Moting is going to make a return to you know Premier League opposition. Um, and he's a big guy as well. He's definitely got some strength that can cause some problems. But definitely not in the caliber of uh, the same caliber as Cavani. I would for, say for sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, it should be an easier challenge for the four. Uh, the, the four in the back and um, who do you think hand. he's going to put at um, left wing or left mid to maybe put in a little bit of defensive help if needed for somebody like Mbappe coming down that wing? Do you think maybe a Martial over Alexis for sure, or maybe Rashford over there even? I'm not sure. You know, man, you could always use Pachizong, you know, <laughs> you know, this is, this is exactly the, what the engine room. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what Sir Alex Ferguson would have done back in the day in like a big Champions League matchup, putting his, putting him in at left mid. Oh yeah, mm. that would be nice right about now. <laughs> I would say Martial just to, you know, cut. Oh, well, he is a bit of a defensive liability, but yeah, mm. yeah, that's. A tough I don't one. think Alexis starts this game. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Sometimes um, these days, Herrera is used as that kind of man-marking special case player. That yeah. was more under other, other the, under the previous managers, but um, he's also been playing really well. So um, another big game from him would be great also. So, guys, I need to get a prediction from you guys what the result is going to be. Not e- not just for tomorrow, but for this fixture um, or for this uh, group of games. Um, who do you think is going to take it between Man U and PSG? I'll let Hedgen go first. <laughs> I'll say Man U 3-1. 3-1. Then 3-1 just for tomorrow or in, in the aggregate? No, just for tomorrow. Wow. I like it. Confident guy. Um, I'm going to start by saying I think United is going to take this over two legs, but I think 3-1 is probably more an aggregate, maybe even 3-2 on aggregate. I think it's going to be close, um, but I do think I do think we're going to go through. Yeah, I mean, I'm hesitant but I think I'm putting Man U at, especially with the form that they've displayed over the past 11 games, 12 games uh, since Skolsars has taken over. And I think the revitalization of this team and the way Pogba looks in the middle of the field, and especially um, the injuries that PSG 
has had this uh, this season and with their recent string of injuries, I really think, man, you needs to take advantage of this first leg. And if they're able to do that, I think they'll have a really good outcome over both legs. So I, I think if they, if they win three, one, two, zero, something like that, then it's going to look a lot more positive because in that second, second leg, I think PSG is going to really come out attacking. And I wonder if Emmanuel is going to be able to hold on, but I think it's going to be relatively close. And I think over the two legs, it's going to be three, two as well. Nice. I like to hear that from a Liverpool fan. (laughs) I did want to make one other quick comment that Solskjaer has a big decision to make in terms of Lukaku this game, because it's been kind of awkward almost between Lukaku and Rashford. Um, because Rashford has been playing so well, Lukaku has basically been benched. And it's always going to be awkward in a team when a big money signing is basically getting benched by a younger product of our academy who's just having an amazing run of form. So it might it might be kind of a bold call to bench Lukaku in a big Champions League game. But I think that would be the right move. I think Lukaku might start. I have a feeling... I'm just afraid that that might mess up the vibes. It's just sort of like how we saw against Burnley. Well, Lukaku <laughs> should be able to send off, you know, uh, someone like Thiago Silva and Marquinhos a little bit better than Rashford, I should say. If Lukaku can have the first touchdown, it should be much easier for Manchester United for like someone like Rashford. Like I wouldn't be surprised if you know they pushed Lukaku or they put Lukaku out as a striker and pushed Rashford out wide, just like bring the first run here. off him. Yeah, and just, yeah. just kind of like run in behind and and receive the ball from from Lukaku or whoever else. Um, I think that might be an easier way than for Rashford to run in from behind in the center because Marquinhos does have the pace too. Yeah. And, you know, Taylor Silva is a top-class, world-class player as a center back. So someone to... It's definitely easier to send off someone uh, as a target man than to sort of try to run in behind. Unless you're yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see who they start between those two, and I think, like you mentioned, Tyler, whether or not the Lukaku, if Lukaku ends up starting, if that messes up some of the team chemistry um, and the good vibes that have been kind of uh, going on for Manchester United over these past twelve games or so. So we ha- we have our predictions in. So it looks like we have all. All of us have Man U going through uh, to the round of eight. So I'll be curious to see if that prediction ends up holding up. So there, I kind of want to do a couple quick hitters in terms of our predictions because I think we can kind of roll through some of them. Um, in terms of Romo versus Porto, I'll just throw out a couple stats here. Maybe it'll influence you guys. Porto has been on a crazy run like – 
I've read somewhere they're they're unbeaten in 25 games or so. So they've been on a crazy run. I have them personally over Roma, who's struggled a little bit more in their domestic league. Um, so I have Porto going through, but I don't really know too much about this team other than um, I think um, I really think um, what's it called? And this is how much I know how much I know about them right now. But I think they're really going to just continue on their their hot streak. And they've really looked dominant, especially I, – I was impressed during their group stage group stages of the Champions League and how they looked. Yeah, I'm going to pick uh, Roma. I'm going to go against you on this one. Um, I just think they – they have a little bit more uh, recent experience in in Europe and doing well, I should say. But like you mentioned, that unbeaten streak by Porto is pretty deadly. So this one could really go either way. But I'm leaning toward Roma. Um, also leaning towards Roma, just because you know there there are teams strong enough to beat a team like Barcelona, and I don't think Porto. I mean, Portugal is <laughs> not to like knock and knock on their 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 skill level, but the league is a little bit lower uh, in terms of standards. So, yeah, sounds good. And then moving on to the next matchup, and these are the games for Wednesday, February thirteenth. It's the first game is going to be Ajax versus Real Madrid. Um, I think there's some really interesting storylines, especially with Real Madrid. And they've really, I would say, have kind of struggled a little bit, especially without Cristiano Ronaldo and kind of trying to figure out and fulfill his absence. And they're trying to learn how to play as a team without Cristiano. So, um, I'm curious to see how they look, especially with Modric and Kareem Benzema. Um, they've recently had a pretty decent, um, I would say, run of form, and now they're only six points behind Barcelona in the league. Um, I think they'll have a pretty comfortable win against Ajax because – Let's face it, Ajax is nowhere near the competition level that, and I would say skill level that Real has. So I would really put Real through to the round of eight. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I was just looking at some of Ajax's recent fixtures, and they've sort of been up and down. They let in six goals and then scored six goals the next game, so seems to be a little inconsistent. Um, and as you said, Madrid struggled this year, but they've looked to be riding the ship. So Madrid for me. Uh, Real Madrid. Ajax <laughs> uh, is a younger team. Uh, I don't know if they have the experience to kind of, you know, perform under the pressure. So, you know, I'm going to take it um, I'm going to have Real Madrid going through. 
Now, I think this next matchup is, is fairly fascinating, uh, the, it, and they're both very evenly matched, Tottenham and Borussia Dortmund. It's, I think it's a really, really interesting matchup, especially with Christian Pulisic and his last, last I would say, season going in uh, as he transitions over to uh, Chelsea, who might not even make it to the Champions League for next year. I mean, I don't know what kind of a move that is for Pulisic, especially from going Champions League to non-Champions League. That'd be pretty funny to see. But Borussia, I, I'm a little bit worried about Tottenham's depth, and we, we touched upon it before um, when we were talking about the Premier League season. I'm pretty concerned about how how they're going to be able to hold up and how their depth's going to be able to hold up. And Pulisic hasn't really hasn't really featured that much for Borussia Dortmund. Rafael Guerrero's looked amazingly well in that left, I would say, hybrid left midfield left wing position. And Jaden Sancho has been like yeah, a revelation. Been it up. He's been like crazy, crazy good uh, for Borussia Dortmund. There's a lot of like um, rumors about him possibly making a big, big money move back to England um, and Borussia is going to really be able to cash in that check and really capitalize on his transfer fee. So there's a lot of rumors going on, but with all that being said, I have Borussia going through pretty narrowly um, and I think all that comes down to is just because of the, the struggles that Tottenham's had staying healthy. And I think their lack of depth is going to eventually bring them down in this round. I think um, I would agree with that, except I honestly think Dortmund's going to comfortably win this. Um, they've just been flying in the Bundesliga um, with some new faces like you were just talking about. And I don't think Tottenham is going to be able to pull off this late winners, um, grinded out type of game against this Dortmund squad, especially without Kane. Um, I think this is a perfect game for Kane or he could excel um, opposition like this, but as good as Son has been playing, um, I think Dortmund has this one pretty comfortably over these two legs. Uh, I can't decide yet. I think it's <laughs> going to be a toss-up, honestly. Um, just because I think as good as Dortmund is and as hurt Tottenham is, uh, the, the amount of grit that Tottenham has shown uh it's going to shine through at least one of the legs, uh, maybe at home. Uh, it, I guess it's just going to depend on how Tottenham performs in the away game. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this is a toss-up for me. I can't decide. Uh, Hedrin doesn't want to disappoint TK, but it looks like <laughs> he's being yeah. outvoted 2-1 to one here. Um, but, sorry, TK. <laughs> yeah, sorry, TK. It just seems like the squad depth is going to be really tough for them to overcome. Um, maybe we'll have TK come on uh, 
for the second leg and try to debate us on that point. So we'll see what ends up happening there. Um, I don't know if you guys wanted to get into next Tuesday's games, uh, starting with Liverpool, Bayern, or save it for next week. Um, your call. I, I <laughs> could give some more quick hits, or we could wait till uh, we have more current information to go off of. <laughs> yeah, why don't we say? Actually, why don't we save it for next week? Uh, do like a part two for next week, and That's then. Fun. It'll be a fun time, so we can kind of assess and see if anything changes. <laughs> see and how we did on this first round. Right, and see if there's any last-minute changes uh, to make. And uh, because I think it, there's going to be some interesting matchups. Liverpool-Bayern, obviously, is a juicy matchup there. And uh, we'll see with what type of predictions both of you guys have. Hopefully you guys don't disappoint me because I didn't get I didn't disappoint you with the menu uh menu prediction as well. So guys, thanks for both coming on to the podcast, uh giving your predictions for the Champions League. Hopefully we're right um on some of them and we hit on some of them. Uh maybe we can kind of give some advice to any listeners that are thinking about putting some money on any of these Champions League games. So we'll see what ends up happening um, with that, guys. And is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about? Um, any quick hitters that you wanted to talk about uh, regarding the world of football? Anything um, that's going on? They, I did also want to give an update on the very sad situation with Emiliano Salah who uh, ended up being found in in that uh, plane wreckage, um, I would say, a couple, week, couple days ago. So it's been reported that he, that he was the, the, the body that was found um, in the wreckage of the plane. So um, thankfully, they were able to recover the body, um, but sadly, he did not make it. So uh, thoughts and prayers to his family. And other than that, the only other thing that I did want to want to touch upon is um, during the Asian Cup, we did get a surprise winner over Japan. Um, Hejun, were you completely shocked and in utter disbelief by the win um, that was displayed there? Uh, not really. Just because Xavi... Um, sort of predicted that would happen, and I mean, I trust the professional <laughs> more than my own my own uh, thinking. Uh, so no, I wasn't surprised, and they're hosting the World Cup, uh, the next World Cup. So I wouldn't be surprised if they got a little bit of that, um, you know, advantage uh, since they are, you know. Uh, I no, guess. I would. I yeah, would, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was extremely impressed. Honestly, like I think no one really saw this coming. Um, Potter's been like this team that is traditionally not a power or a traditional power in Asian football, and for them to win their win the tournament like they did against a top squad like Japan. 
and it's not like Japan had like it's not like Japan didn't have all their top players there. They had a majority of their players. They had a lot of their European based players, and Cotter was still able to to do what they had to do to win the tournament, and they were able to pull off some really impressive wins. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, like really crazy, and it was kind of sad. We we rehashed or we hashed this all out in terms of the way Korea played in that tournament and whether or not that brings questions to the way uh, Paulo Bento has set up the Korean national team. But it, it was definitely a huge disappointment for a lot of Korean supporters. Um, I think a lot of Tottenham supporters were extremely happy, especially with the injury troubles they had and Son going back to the squad. But, oh, man, I, I remember waking up pretty early for the game to watch that game and for them to lose in the quarterfinals like they did was a huge disappointment. I mean, can you imagine Tottenham uh, still sitting in what third? Uh, if they, if Korea hadn't that is definitely true. So I'm sure Tottenham fans are definitely uh, donating to any of the uh, powers that may be uh, overlooking that tournament slash referee that was overlooking that game as well. So thanks again, guys, for coming on to the podcast. And uh, we'll definitely break down in the part in part two of our, I guess, Champions League preview next week and give our predictions uh, on Liverpool versus Bayern. And I, I wanted to say one more magic. quick hit, Kev. All right, say it. City's going to win the Premier League. Sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> to end the yeah. podcast like you do. Oh, man. To say it like that. Uh, well, I hope you're wrong because I'm still on the Liverpool boat, obviously. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely looking a lot more scary with the way Man City is playing. So, I hope you guys are wrong. Uh, and... Well, I hope you're wrong, Tyler. Hedging didn't say anything, but I hope you're wrong. Uh, so thanks Fair again, enough. guys, for coming on to the podcast. And uh, if you guys haven't rated slash subscribed the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or however you listen to the podcast, on Spotify, wherever. So we thank you guys again for listening. And tune in next week as we give our predictions uh, for Liverpool, uh, Bayern Munich, and the rest of the Champions League matchups in the round of 16.